us, Mr. Barry Vaughn. He is a candidate for the Fifth Appellate Court. Uh, Justice Vaughn, thank you so much for being with me today. Thank you. Glad to be here. And just call me Barry. Well, Barry, thank you for being with us. Um, it is always a little bit different whenever I interview candidates who are running for a judge judge's post because uh, the campaigns are different. Uh, candidates sometimes are not as willing or really at liberty to talk specifically about issues as much as somebody running for state rep could. Uh, so it makes it a little bit more difficult, but I still enjoy these sorts of interviews because I think it's an opportunity to inform people about the importance of judicial elections. So we'll try to do that today. But before we get into that, you're a uh, Hamilton County farm boy, essentially, right? More or less, yes. You, you never quit being a farm boy, I guess. If you grew up on a farm, you always think of yourself that way. I haven't farmed for, for several years, but uh, grew up on a farm in, down by Dale, south of McLeansboro. Mm-hmm. And Dale is uh, still an incorporated community or no? I think it's unincorporated, but there's still a community. There's a small general store and gas station. I think yeah. I went to a family reunion or something there once. There, there was a high school or an elementary school there. There was that, a grade school there, and they it closed. I attended the grade school there. It closed probably in 1996 or so. They closed all the smaller feeder schools to Hamilton County and, and went sitting everything to the junior high and, and grade school in McLeansboro. But they changed the name of the, the grade school to the Dale Convention Center, which yes. I always thought was kind of funny. Yeah, you can rent the Dale Convention Center, and there's a gymnasium in there and play basketball or whatever. So that's yes. a memory I never thought I'd dust yeah. off again. Pro probably only 100 people in Dale, if that. Well, that's all right. You've got to be somewhere. And Dale is as good as any. Uh, you are an SIU grad? Yes, graduated in December 1984 and law school in 1988. And what were your degrees in? I assume one was in law. Bachelor in political science and a minor in speech and then a law degree in 1988. Was there a specific moment, do you remember growing up, when you thought to yourself, I think I'm seriously going to pursue a career as an attorney? Well, I always wanted to be an attorney. From uh, I've told the story before in campaign speeches. I, I grew up on a farm. There was a neighbor. I always called it an eighth of a mile away, but farmers call it half a quarter. So, <laughs> uh, my dad was a math teacher, so I always did dealt in fractions. But half a quarter away, there was a neighbor named Gene Endicott, and he had an old book called Yesterday in America. And I loved to read. My my parents were educators. Dad was a math teacher. My mom was a guidance counselor, and they taught education was important to us. So I, I learned to read early on. My mom read stories to us as kids, and. The book was American Heroes. There were stories about George Washington and George Washington Carver and Booker T. Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Clara Barton. And when I read the story about Abraham Lincoln, it just kind of struck a note with me that I thought that's what I want to be. I want to be a lawyer. So from the time I was in second grade, that was always kind of my goal. I wanted to be a lawyer someday. You know, everybody has a joke about an attorney until they need one, right? Yes, I Somebody asked me the other day, what's my favorite joke? And it, it's actually, I guess, a lawyer joke, but it's more self-deprecating. The, the, the joke is, what do you call an attorney with an IQ below 90? The answer is, your honor. So <laughs> um, I think that's kind of funny. Even, even lawyers like that joke because it kind of pokes fun at judges. Yeah, well, one of the favorite stories I like to tell that's, uh, you know, of course, not particularly uplifting of the uh, uh, attorney occupation is that the old story about the two farmers that were arg arguing over a cow. Have you heard this one? I don't know. One farmer was pulling on the head of the cow and one farmer was pulling on the tail of the cow and the whole time there was an attorney milking the cow. And I've used that metaphor sometimes to describe, you know, what seemed to be frivolous arguments between parties and there really is no winner at the end. 
But regardless of all the the jokes about the judiciary and the various uh, roles that are involved in it, it is, of course, one of our constitutional branches of government. It's extremely uh, important. And you are running for the fifth appellate district seat or a seat on the fifth appellate district. How many justices are there on the fifth appellate court? There are seven justices on the court. Six are elected and one is assigned. I currently sit in the assigned seat and I'm running for an elected seat that was formerly Justice David Overstreet's seat. And when you talk about the fifth district, it is a very large district. I'd have to think it is the largest geographical district of all the districts. I believe it is. Illinois has 102 counties. The 5th District is made up of 48 counties, so the district goes all the way north. Champaign County, the northernmost town, is probably Rantoul. Vermilion County, the northernmost town, is probably Hoopston. And DeWitt County, where the, the county seat is Clinton, Illinois. So Decatur, Champaign, Danville are all in our district now. So it, it's quite a drive to the northern end. And you're running in the Republican primary. Yes. And you do have an opponent, so voters will have a choice. Yes. And this will be, of course, the June 28th primary. Uh, The appellate court, of course, hears appeals from the circuit court. Uh, Give me your background as uh, an attorney uh, and as a judge. When I was still in law school, uh, I had worked as an intern in the Jefferson County State's Attorney's Office. And in 1988, the Republican Party in Wayne County did not have a candidate. And they, they heard about me working in Mount Vernon. And so they sent word, would you be interested running for state's attorney in Wayne County. And I said, well, I'm, I'm still on law school. But they said, we don't have anybody else to run. If you're willing to run, we'll take a chance. And so I, I was nominated in March while I was still in school. I graduated, waited in May, uh, took the bar exam in July, was notified in October I'd passed, won the election in December, and was sworn, or won the election in November, was sworn in in December. So I was 26 years old, right out of law school, just passed the bar, and I was the youngest state's attorney in Illinois, Illinois history. Now, a few years after that, a 25-year-old got elected, so my my record as the youngest was short-lived, but I, I was right out of school and, and became a state's attorney. So I served two terms, eight years in the state's attorney's office. I then went into private practice from 1996 to 2002, had a small um, sole practitioner office in Fairfield. And then in 2000, we moved back to McLeansboro. My father-in-law had a heart attack and passed away, and my dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. So we moved back to McLeansboro to be closer to home. It wasn't that far, but still closer to family. Yeah. And then in 2002, was elected judge. So I've been the Hamilton County resident circuit judge in the Second Circuit since 2002. And the Second Circuit is 12 counties along the southeastern border of Illinois and Indiana. What is the most difficult part to being a judge? I think, well, obviously, most people would say family court, custody court, divorce court. Uh, it's It's very emotionally involved, uh, things that people think are important to them aren't always important in the law, and it gets personal. They want to drag each other through the mud and and try and score points by bringing the other person down, and it's hard to sometimes know who's telling the truth. If, if you watch the, the Amber Heard and Johnny Depp trial, they're going back and forth all the time and each have different versions, and it's hard as a judge to determine who's telling the truth. Uh, it's not a jury trial. It's a, you know, a bench trial where the judge is making the decisions. So trying to listen to what people are saying and determine, does this fit in with the rest of the circumstances? Do I think this person's telling the truth? And then knowing that when you make a custody decision, a lot of times the kids are young, and what the decision you make is going to affect them for the next 16 to 18 years sometimes. So it's you know weighs heavily on your mind that you want to make the right decision, do what's best for the kids, but it's that's the hardest part, I would say. Do you take that stuff home with you at night? 
I try not to. My, my wife is a speech therapist in the school system, and we talk about she doesn't come home and talk about the kids she sees in school. I don't come home and talk about the cases I had, but there are times when you're thinking about the case, you know, when I'm driving you know, to a movie or something, or you're going out to eat, I'm still thinking about what I heard in court that day. So some of those cases you, you do take home with and you can't, can't forget child abuse cases. As a prosecutor, you know, as a, a prosecutor for eight years, I still think about some of the cases I had back then. And as a judge, I think about some of the cases I, I've had now. And I've, you know, people have commented on my Facebook page, you know, you did a great job on our case. I, I've given speeches for the last year campaigning and probably eight or nine times someone's followed me outside afterwards and said, Judge Vaughn, you don't remember remember me, but you were the judge in my custody case in Carmi 18 years ago or Mount Vernon 15 years ago or Olney 17 years ago, and you didn't give us everything we wanted, but we could tell you were concerned about our case and wanted to do what was right for our kids. We just want to let you know we thought you did a good job. But occasionally I have someone post something on Facebook that says, you're a jerk, you, know, you didn't let me have my kids, and so I, I'm sympathetic to that. I'm sorry about that, but you know sometimes that happens. There can't be two winners in a court case, you try and do what's best for the kids, and the parents aren't always happy or satisfied with that. So, I would think that when you become a judge that really the only people that you can talk to about these sorts of stresses that are put upon judges are other judges. I mean, is there a, a conversation that goes on in the judicial realm about just the challenges of the work? Sometimes we have judicial conferences and we, we talk at that time, but on a day-to-day basis, in, in, I mean, we're in Southern Illinois rural areas, and the only time I had other judges around me was if I was assigned to court in Mount Vernon or Benton. In McLeansboro, where I mostly sat, or Carmi, or Mount Carmel, or Lawrenceville, or any of those counties or towns, I was the only judge in the courthouse that day. You, know, you go to Shawneetown in, in Gallatin County, or sure. Elizabethtown in Hardin County, you're the only judge there. So. You can't really bounce it off somebody else. You can't take a recess and go talk to another judge down the hall because you're the only judge in the courthouse. So that, that part's difficult. Uh, there were times and if I, you know, we take a recess, and if there's something that's really bothering me, I really had a question about, I might call another judge and say, here's what I'm hearing or here's what I'm facing. Have you ever have you run into this before? And they may give me some advice, not specifics about that case, but just in general right. what I need to be looking out for or watching for or listening for. So, But it, it's, it's tough in a smaller rural area. To, Certainly. Justice Barry Vaughn is in the studio with me today. It is uh, 1219. You can find him online at justicevaughn.com. That's justicevaughn.com. He is running in the Republican primary on June the 28th for a seat on the 5th District Appellate Court. He is currently serving on that court, was appointed by Justice uh, Overstreet, and hopes to be um, elected to that post. These are 10-year terms. That's correct, yes. And there are seven justices on that uh, particular appellate court. Uh, on your Facebook page, or maybe it was your website, I can't remember which, uh, you write that you uh, you believe it's important that there be conservative constructionist judges. Uh, what does that mean? Can you expound on that? Well, at the, at the federal level especially, you hear Supreme Court justices talk about a living constitution. And I, I think you have to look at the words the words mean something, and we wrote it down for a reason. And if it is the whim of whatever who happens to be sitting as a judge at that time, then it doesn't really mean anything. It, it, it changes year to year or term to term. And so I think you need to try and look at the words. What did, what did the words mean uh, in a law when the legislature passes a law? What were they trying to accomplish? What was the intent, you know, the original intent when they passed the law? Uh, we can't always tell. Sometimes we say the law is not clear, and we send it back and let the legislature try and fix the law or correct the law. But for the most part, we try and find 
what was the intent. We're not to make law, we're to interpret law. And so I think the best way to interpret is to try and decide what were they trying to do or what did they mean when they passed these laws. Um, that's that's kind of what I'm, what I'm shooting for, hoping for. And so you consider yourself to be a conservative? Yes. And does that mean that uh, when you come to a specific case, whether it be Second Amendment issues or whatever, or would the appellate court in Illinois in the 5th District even be hearing like a Second Amendment case? Uh, not very much Second Amendment cases. There was there's a FOID case pending, but it went I think it went directly to the Supreme Court because it was a constitutional issue. Uh, constitutional issues go directly to the Illinois Supreme Court, so we don't hear those issues much at the appellate level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I consider myself a conservative um, Judges are forbidden. You'd mentioned at the opening, we're not allowed to talk about something. Supreme Court Rule 63 says we're not to comment on public issues or issues currently pending in a court. Uh, I, I can tell people, you know, I have three kids. My oldest son is a aerospace engineer. He works for a firearms company. He designs guns and aftermarket parts for guns. And so um, you can kind of read between the lines of what my thoughts are on Second Amendment. Uh, I I enjoy shooting. I, I shoot on when I have time during the campaign, I haven't not had time, but I usually shoot in an indoor pistol league on Thursday nights in Carmi, uh, 22 pistols. Uh, I've shot on trap teams. I never did shoot much trap or, or skeet, but I, I have shot skeet in the past. Uh, I was invited to shoot on a trap team a while back, and my, my team ended up winning. So I, I'm, I'm familiar with guns and like shooting, but to, to comment specifically on how we would rule on a, a Second Amendment case, we're, we're not really supposed to prejudge the case until we hear all the facts. Whatever your personal opinions are, you're supposed to come into it with an open mind as a judge and listen to all the, the evidence and the facts and try and apply the law. But, I mean, I'm, I'm conservative. I have You do come into it with certain uh, biases and, and opinions, and you try and set those aside as much as you can and decide the case, each case on the law and the facts of that case. Justice Barry Vaughn in the studio with me. JusticeVaughn.com is the website. We'll take the first break of the day. And when we come back, we'll have a discussion about this uh, leaked opinion at the uh, Supreme Court ruling and talk a little bit about the way that uh, judicial campaigns are financed here in the state of Illinois. I'm visiting today in the studio with uh, Barry Vaughn. He is a member of the 5th District Appellate court which covers uh, 48 counties in southern Illinois and he is looking to be elected to that post after having been appointed to it in December of 2020. We were talking during the break I think it's interesting to pursue that conversation a little bit further. The 5th District Appellate Court is in Mount Vernon but for the last couple of years all of the cases you've heard have been digital or on Zoom? On Zoom yes remote. And uh, has that improved the judicial process in some ways? Has it uh, detracted from the judicial process in some ways, in your opinion? I think both. I, I'm old school or old-fashioned. I like to see the attorneys in front of me. Uh, I, I mentioned before I liked reading about Abraham Lincoln. That's what helped me decide I wanted to be a lawyer. And the 5th District Appellate Court Building in Mount Vernon is the last actively used courthouse that Abraham Lincoln actually argued a case in. Mm. Uh, it was used as the Supreme Court back in the 1840s and 50s, and he argued a, a railroad tax case there. So the, the history of being in that building, Clara Barton used it as a hospital. A tornado struck uh, Mount Vernon, I think, in 1888, and she used the appellate court building as a hospital. So the history of the building, the, the ornateness of the, the architecture and everything appeals to me. The attorneys tell me that the younger attorneys seem to like doing it on Zoom because they are in their office, they're in their comfort zone, and 
They have their files right there. If, any, if anyone, one of the justices asks them a question and they're not sure about it, they can have staff hand them notes or point them to a place in the file where the answer is. And so they like being, I think they like doing it remotely. The older attorneys seem to prefer reading the bench, watching the reactions of the judges, and when they make their arguments, seeing who's responding, and they can see when the other side's arguing what the responses are. So I think the the older attorneys prefer the in-person. I, I probably lean more toward in-person. Mm-hmm. Um, but that it's it's the way of the future it seems. It's it's more convenient for, you know, with our district as big as it is now, an attorney in Danville may not want to have to drive all the way down to Mount Vernon. So I think even in the future we're going to have a blended system where you can appear remotely if you prefer and you'll appear in person if that's your preference. Yes, and I can't help but wonder if over the years even the shape of the districts may be impacted. I mean, we used to uh, draw these districts and form these things based upon geographical uh, considerations. But if everything's going to be digital, um, then does it matter, you know, to some extent? And, of course, I can't predict the future, and neither can you, or we'd both be down buying lottery tickets in about an hour. Um, Justice Barry Vaughn in the studio with me today. I want to ask you about this leak of the Dobbs uh, draft at the Supreme Court on the Roe versus Wade decision. I watched a video where Clarence Thomas was speaking at a university over the last week or so, and he feels like that this is a, 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 a has changed the nature in uh, of the Supreme Court gravely. He said it's like an infidelity. You can explain it, but you can't ever undo it. Um, what were your thoughts as a judge when you saw that happen? I think basically the same thing, even on, on the appellate court for us now, we, we hear cases in panels of three. Uh, the The author of the case is already assigned ahead of time, and so I will write an opinion, and I'll have my clerks look. I have three law clerks that basically write the opinion. I'm more like an editor. I read. I tell them the direction I think it should go, and then they write in accordance with my direction. And then once we get something we like, we send it to the other two justices who heard the case. They may make suggestions or may totally disagree and say, we think you're off on a wild goose chase on this part. Can you rewrite that? And so it goes back and forth. Sometimes the case changes entirely. We, we have a case under advisement right now that when the opinion was first written by one of my colleagues, they were for affirming the case, and then they changed their mind, decided they wanted to reverse the case. I wrote a dissent and sent it out to the others after they read my dissent. They are now thinking they agree with the dissent, that we should affirm it. And so we've gone completely 360 in the course of discussing this. But if everything we discussed was out in the open or being leaked somewhere, then you know that might change the whole flavor of the case, and you, you need to feel free to express your concerns or express your your beliefs about the case you know, in a free open forum among your colleagues before it gets released to the public and because we're not supposed to be deciding cases based on public opinion or public pressure it's supposed to be based on the law and the facts and if we're leaking stuff out and the public can can exert pressure then that's that's not really how the court system is supposed to work it's supposed to be decided on what you heard in the courtroom or in the arguments or in the briefs not what some public opinion poll went out and you know change your opinion so I, I I'm concerned about the fact that it was leaked and and how that's going to impact us in the future. I want to ask you, campaign financing in the state of Illinois limits any individual uh, contributions to a judicial candidate to $6,000 per election cycle. Obviously, you're running as a Republican. Uh, Many states have judges who run as nonpartisan officials. Justice is supposed to be uh, blind. How can can Illinois, or do you think Illinois would be better served by going to some other way of selecting judges than the way that it's done now? Well, I think 
most of us would prefer nonpartisan elections. I, I do still like elections. I think the public should should have a say in who's going to be deciding their cases. So, as opposed to purely appointed, uh, Missouri has a Missouri you know, appointment system. The federal system is appointed. You know, we talk about the Supreme Court going through the appointment process and how political has that become. So, just because they're appointed doesn't mean you take politics out of it. So, I, I think politics are always going to be a part of it. So, I, I think I prefer elections over over appointment. Well, but. I think appointments are more political in some ways than elections because as a mayor, the thing I hate the most is appointments. Yes. Because um, oftentimes you may have five people who are all qualified, um, and then when you appoint somebody, then you have four people who look at you and ask, why don't you like me? Yes. Um, and so, and of course, politicians have political opinions, but I cut you off and I'll let you continue. Excuse me. Well, the, the frustration I think we have with, with elections right now is that uh, most people aren't that concerned about judicial elections. You're concerned about the governor's race or the president's race or a legislator's race. I, I joke sometimes when I give my campaign speech that I can't name a bridge after you. I can't promise you I'm going to vote to lower taxes. You know, <laughs> And with Rule 63 that I talked about before, we can't really talk much about how we would rule on things. So so the public is kind of blind in, in one sense. It's uh, but it's if a, you ruled the world, you'd like it to be a nonpartisan election. I would prefer a nonpartisan election, I think. I and mean, like that said, I am a conservative Republican. I, I, I was named after Barry Goldwater. My dad liked Barry Goldwater mm. back before he ran for president. He wrote a book in 1960 called Conscience of a Conservative, and he wrote a book in 1962 called Why Not Victory. And the, the premise of that book was we shouldn't just try and contain the Russians. We're better than the Russians. We're more productive than the We should outcompete them and and win. Right. So my dad liked those two books. So when I was born in 1962, dad named me after Barry Goldwater. Of course, he went on to a landslide defeat in 1964 to Lyndon Johnson, but I still like the conservative thoughts of Barry Goldwater. He was still a senator from Arizona, so I, I'm a conservative Republican, but we always say, too, when you're on the bench, you don't make a decision based on Republican or Democrat. You, you try and base it on the facts and the law, and, uh, and we talked earlier about strict constructionist versus progressive or, or living constitution kind of uh, philosophy toward the law. And I, you know, I, I do have that that basis for decision-making, but you don't decide it based on politics. And you know, in my race now, I'm, I'm very proud that I've been endorsed by Republicans and Democrats. Uh, I've got over 30 states' attorneys and sheriffs have endorsed me from both parties. So I, I like that they feel like I'm, even though I'm running as a Republican, I'm, I'm non-political when I'm on the bench. And you can see those endorsements at his website, Justice Vaughn. Dot com. You talk about these judicial races, and of course, perhaps one of the most famous judicial races of all time took place here in Illinois in 2004, the Carmeyer-Mag race, where nearly $20 million was spent. Um, I believe it was inflation. It was $19 million then. I did the inflation adjustment for today's dollars. It had been $30 million. Uh, so, these judicial races matter, whether it's at the appellate court or the Supreme Court level, or there wouldn't be that much money spent on them. I think so. I, that you know, I'm friends with Justice Carmeier, and I, I met Gordon Mack when he was running, and you know, I, I don't think either one of them could be bought. And you know, we, we all think we're not going to be bought. Or, but people say, you see sometimes in, in these uh, legislative races, somebody's endorsed by the NRA. Well, you're in the pocket of the well. Are you in the pocket of the NRA, or are you pro-gun? And so the NRA got behind you. Right. So uh, you know, I think just Justice Carmeier had a certain philosophy and Chamber of Commerce, and and certain people backed him and spent big money to see the, someone with his philosophy. And other people liked Gordon Mag and and wanted to back his. I don't think he was being bought or sold. I think they already had their their beliefs, and I, you know, I have my beliefs. And if people investigate, they'll see see what they are. You know, I'm, I'm a Christian. I 
deacon in my church. I'm a Southern Baptist, uh, deacon in Ten Mile Baptist Church, and became a Christian on July 11, 1974. If you look up Tim Lee.org, he was the evangelist from McLeansboro who, who preached the revival when I was saved. So I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I have certain uh, beliefs and, and standards I, I try and go by, and if people agree with that, I, you know, they contribute, and if they don't, they contribute to the other guy. But I, I don't. I'm not going to change my beliefs because one person or another contributed. And and judicial elections, we're not really supposed to know who contributed. We have to form a committee. Right. Uh, it's like a blind trust. A, yes, very much like that. Mm-hmm. So I don't know who's contributed. When, when we try to buy signs, I say signs cost twenty five hundred. Do we have enough money to buy them? And they say yes, buy them. And so we buy them. But I don't. I don't know how much any one person's con- or even who's contributed for the most part. So. Well, I knew that mag race was really turning into something when the Cardinal announcer, Mike Shannon, was on the radio talking about voting for Gordon Mag, and I thought, well, I tell you, you must have really had a little bit of uh, pocket change in order to drag Mike Shannon out of the uh, broadcast booth and endorse a political candidate. But anyway, uh, that was nearly 20 years ago now, hard to believe. Uh, it is 12.38. I'm bringing another question here, more of just a process question, and educate me and, and the listeners as well. How does a case come to be heard by the appellate court? If anybody wants to appeal a case from the circuit clerk to the appellate court, can they and will it be heard? They can, and it will be heard at the appellate court. Now, the numbers are still coming in for this year since we've changed the size of the district. It used to be 37 counties. Now it's 48 counties. We're projecting that we'll have about 840 appeals filed this year in in 2022 and we hear all the appeals filed. most criminal cases have an automatic right to appeal for free if you have a civil case you've got to pay the filing fees and of course pay your attorney to to argue your case and prepare your briefs and that kind of thing but if, if you have the money and are willing to do it even if you don't have the money you can do it pro se or individually without an attorney but it's it's hard to go into a right appellate realm if you don't know the rules and don't know how to file stuff and there are certain guidelines on how long your brief can be, the spacing and the the punctuation, everything is very specific. So it's hard to do it on your own, but if if you're willing to to do it, anyone can appeal. But the Supreme Court in Illinois only takes 5% of those cases. So of the 840 cases that are appealed to the 5th District Appellate Court, only 35 to 40 cases may get taken up to Springfield to the Supreme Court. So we are basically the court of last resort for someone who doesn't like the result at the trial level. And three justices of the appellate court are hearing these cases yes uh the our clerk is a man named jack flood and he does random draws we get, we're assigned to panels and so i'll, I'll sit on the panel of three judges uh, myself and two other appellate justices and we hear cases and then we spend the rest of the month uh, you know we hear cases usually three to five days a month we spend the rest of the month doing research and writing our opinions for the cases we just heard and doing research and preparing for the cases we're about to hear so so, but if you're getting 800-plus cases a year, there's no way you're clearing those out in a year's time. Some of the cases don't have oral arguments. Some of the cases, uh, we have staff attorneys at the appellate court. They do the research. They'll make a suggestion or recommendation. This is what we think should happen. So not all the cases actually go to oral argument, but we, okay. are, we are actually clearing out the cases uh, going through the... So because they don't all have oral argument, you are able to handle that caseload typically. Yes. Now, there is some talk. Uh, our caseload in the 5th District, because of adding the, the 11 new counties, and those counties include Decatur, Champaign, and Danville, they project our caseload is going to go up about 68%. And so there is some talk. We may get assigned one or two more appellate justices, but that's up to the Supreme Court. We don't know that that's going to happen, but we may get more justices assigned to the 5th District. Instead of seven, it may be eight or nine next year, but, but we don't know that yet. But regardless of the number of total judges 
in that particular court, it's always heard before a three-judge panel. That's correct, yes. And it's never all of the justices hearing a case. That's correct. Uh, that happens at the federal level in the Seventh Circuit and you know, federal cases, but at the, at the Illinois level. Uh, it's only it's always three judge panels, and if you don't like that result, you appeal that to the or try to appeal that to the Illinois Supreme Court. Is there such a thing as a typical case in I terms of a case originating out of a of a typical sort of conflict? I don't think so. I think every every case is unique, and I mean we see certain patterns. There's a uh, a lot of times an allegation of uh, ineffective assistance of counsel. If you're a criminal defendant and you're found guilty. Uh, the first thing you do is say, my attorney did not do a good job. They they didn't call witnesses I wanted to call, or they right. didn't make arguments I wanted to make. And so that, I mean, that's a fairly common thing, but it's different allegations each time. I, I had a defense, and they didn't investigate my defense, or I had witnesses, they didn't call my witnesses, or, you know, it, there's always some nuance to their to their appeal. Right. Barry Vaughn in the studio with us today. He is running for a, a seat. He is on the 5th District Appellate Court, was appointed, and is uh, hoping to be elected to a 10-year term. He is running in the June 28th Republican primary. We'll take another break. We'll come back and uh, continue our conversation with him right after this. Uh, Sort of elevator speech. Why don't you give it to me? Why should people vote for you? Well, throughout my life, I've tried to do what I thought was right and fair and necessary in my personal life. Uh, you know, I've been married for 33 years. I have three great kids. Uh, I've been involved in my church. I'm a Christian. You know, I grew up with a hardworking background on the farm. I worked in the oil field as a pumper and a roustabout. Worked through the labor union, putting myself through law school, running a jackhammer and working construction. So used to hard work. In my public life, I've been president of Lions Club and Rotary Club and the Hamilton County Fair Board. Uh, I've been a referee since 2011. I read an article that said there was a shortage of referees, and so I started refereeing. Uh, my wife told me in 2016 that the high school golf coach had quit, and they were looking for somebody to coach. And I'm not that good at golf, but I like the rules. I've been I'm a USGA rules official, and so I, my kids all played golf. My daughter plays for SIU right now on the women's team, and so she and I began coaching high school golf. Uh, she coaches the women's team, and I coach the the boys team at high school. In connection with that, there's a shortage of bus drivers. Growing up on a farm with a CDL, I, I had my CDL, and so I, I got my bus driver's license so I could drive the team to matches. So I've just always tried to do what I thought was necessary and what, what needed to be done. Uh, my kids kind of laughed at me said, you're a judge. Why do you want to be a bus driver? But nobody else was doing it, and they needed somebody, and so I did it. And same with refereeing. My wife said, don't you make enough people mad as judge? Why do you want to be a referee and make a whole town <laughs> mad at you? But there's a shortage, and kids, young kids didn't want to do it, older people retiring. And, and as a judge, now my experience, I've been a judge for almost 20 years now. I've done every kind of case there is. I've been a prosecutor. I'm the only one on the court right now or running for the appellate court who has been an elected prosecutor. So in this time of defund police and war on police, I've worked with the police as a prosecutor. As a judge, I've been a mediator, peer mediator for new judges. They are assigned to me, and I help them get acclimated to the job of being a judge. I've been a custody mediator. We've sent judges from our circuit to training to be mediators to help with custody, trying to resolve it without court. And I've been a faculty member for the education conference. Every judge is required to go to training, continuing education every two years. And since 2014, I've been faculty at those training conferences. So I try to be involved in, in all aspects, whatever I'm doing, I try to be involved and be the best I can be. As, as a referee, there are three levels I've promoted every time. As a basketball referee, up to the highest level I can be. As a judge, I've tried to take every class I could take and, and be the best judge I could be. You know, that's not to say I don't make mistakes, but I, I try and learn and get better as I go along. Um, People don't always know who the judges are, though. They always say, well, how do we find out? We ask an attorney friend. 
And in my case, in a judicial campaign at the appellate and the Supreme Court level, there are two rating systems. The Illinois State Bar Association forms a committee, and they investigate you and interview you, and you fill out a 10-page questionnaire, and they look at that. Then they make a recommendation. Is Barry not qualified or qualified? And I'm the only one in the race of my two opponents who was rated as qualified. But they do a second rating. They send out a, a ballot to all the attorneys in the 5th District, and of the attorneys who responded, I received a 90% approval rating. My opponents received a 44 and a 51. So of the attorneys who've appeared in front of me and who have knowledge of my reputation and my work ethic and my decision-making, almost 9 out of 10 say I'm qualified and should be on the appellate court. For my opponents, uh, 6 out of 10 say they're not qualified, or, or 5 out of 10 say they're not qualified. So I think that's, that's the thing that I'm very proud of. And, and finally, I would say, you know, as a judge for almost 20 years, I've been up for retention three times. And in 2020, I had a 98.7% approval rating in my bar poll, and I got the highest retention vote anyone's ever received in the Second Circuit. So not only did the attorneys think I was doing a good job, but the voters who'd seen me in action in the Second Circuit gave me the highest rating anyone's ever received. So I feel like that's why the Supreme Court put me on the appellate court. Uh, Justice Overstreet uh, nominated me, and the Supreme Court approved me unanimously, and I'm doing the job right now. So I'd say... I've earned the, the chance to continue doing that job. Justice Barry Vaughn has been our guest in the studio today. Find out more about him at justicevaughn.com. Thank you so much for making the trip over to the studio. We appreciate your time. Thanks. I enjoyed it. Good to be here.